this morning the book of Hebrews, chapter number 10, verse number 23. I was sitting there listening to him sing the songs about fear is a liar and talking about chains. And I, I can't help but to know that God has some deliverance on hand for somebody. There's somebody in here you've been lied to. You've been lied to by the world. You've been lied to by the devil. You've been lied to by preachers. You've been lied to by church members. You've been beat down long enough. God has a deliverance for somebody this morning. Hebrews chapter 10, beginning in verse number 23, let us hold fast the profession of our faith without wavering, for he is faithful that promised. Let us consider one another to provoke unto love and to good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some is, but exhorting one another, and so much more as you see the day approaching. For if we sin willfully after that we have received the knowledge of the truth, there remaineth no more sacrifice for sins, but a fearful, a certain fearful looking for of judgment and fiery indignation which shall devour the adversaries. He that despised Moses the law died without mercy under two or three witnesses. Of how much sore punishment suppose ye? Shall he be thought worthy who hath trodden underfoot the Son of God and hath counted the blood of the covenant wherewith he was sanctified an unholy thing and hath done despite unto the Spirit of grace? For we know him that hath said, Vengeance belongeth unto me, I will recompense, saith the Lord. Again, the Lord shall judge his people. It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. Thank you. You can be seated. Right in the middle of the text here, before we pray, I want to give you this part. Right here in the middle of the text, there is a verse that is very much misunderstood. Because it is very much misunderstood by many, it is often overlooked. It is a verse that is used often by the devil to deceive people, beat people down, hold people back. It is a verse that is sometimes used to give the impression that God is not a long-suffering, patient God. It is a verse that is used sometimes to imply that his mercy has its limitations. I can assure you that is the furthest thing from the truth. It's a verse that's used out of context quite often. It's used by many, and it creates confusion within the hearts of people. It's a verse that when it is singled out, it seems to be out of harmony with the rest of the Bible. I can assure you that also is incorrect. Anytime a verse seems to be out of line with the rest of the scriptures, I promise you it's because someone is using it out of line. Someone is pulling that one verse out, singling that verse out, and using it out of context. This one has been used out of context. I, I, will, I will go so far as to say this. Um... It has been used by, I guess about the best word I could call it, would be irresponsible preachers. Because a preacher is responsible to teach the truth. And I'm going to show you, I'm not going to make it up, I'm going to show you some things that you've heard that's been preached to you. Um, I grew up in an old Pentecostal background. And I grew up with some old school law and some old school uh, legalistics. It's been used by irresponsible preachers who have used it as a club to beat people down, to try to scare people into living the way we ought to live. God gives us the opportunity to come to him freely. He doesn't force anything on us. Amen. This is a verse that possibly more people don't understand than do understand. I want to take a look at this verse this morning. I want to take a look at a couple of things that it does not mean. And then I want to take a look at what it does mean. The verse is verse number 26. For if we sin willfully after that we have received the knowledge of the truth, there remaineth no more sacrifice for sin. I want to bring a message this morning. And I pray that God will use it to bring some clarity to somebody that needs some help. I want to bring a message entitled, Grace is Always Greater. If I was going to add two more words to it, it would be than sin. Grace is always greater than sin. God, thank you so much 
for being so incredibly good. Thank you for loving us in spite of us. Thank you, God. Lord, may we forever praise you, forever worship you, God. Thank you that you're preparing a place that we can be with you for all of eternity, that we can worship you forever. Thank you, God, that fear is a liar. Thank you, God, that, Lord, you do make graves in the gardens, Lord, and you, you do turn seas into highways, God. Thank you for being a God that we can call on in all things at all times, God, and know that you're there and that you're greater than any problem that we face, including sin. Lord, I pray right now you'd move upon whoever needs the help this morning, God. I realize you gave me this message. It is an intended purpose, I pray, that it would give some liberty to everyone that hears. I ask you to move on us this morning. We love you and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. So let's just go ahead and get this one out of the way so that we'll understand part of it right to, right to start with. How many of you in here have ever sinned accidentally? Y'all accidentally sinned. I don't believe a word of it. I believe yours is probably a lot like mine. I knew I was sinning when I was doing it. A lot of times I thought about it before I did it. Holy Spirit reminded me while I did it and got on to me after I did it, but I went ahead and did it. I don't believe we do too many sins accidentally. Therefore, I believe most of the sins that we do is willful sin. Nobody ever forced me into sinning. I did them all by myself, amen? What the writer here is talking about is this is a carefully thought-out decision. This isn't a rash decision. This isn't an impulse decision to sin. This is something that has been contemplated. This is something that has been carefully presented and the person has listened to it, and they have decided to go ahead with the sin anyway. I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand if you have some of those kind of sins in there, because most of us, if, if we were honest and our life were to flash up here on this screen, you would be beside me while we crawled out under these pews to get out of this place. The passage here is a passage that the devil will use to try to trap someone into believing that what you've done can't be forgiven. What you've done, there remaineth no more sacrifice for sin. What, what you've done was over the top. God can't use you. God's not going to forgive you. God's not interested in you. You say, well, how can the devil use the scriptures against us? Same way did Jesus. Jesus was tempted. He, he was in the wilderness. He fasted 40 days and 40 nights. The devil, the tempter came to him, and what did he use? It is written. And he took a passage of Scripture. He pulled it out of context, and he attempted to tempt the Lord Jesus using the Scriptures. Now, if the devil used the Scriptures to try to attempt the Son of the living God, surely we have to know he's going to do it to somebody like us. So, if you've made a mistake, Sin, call it what we want, before or after we're saved, the devil will hold that over our heads. Anybody say amen. The devil will always try to bring up all your mistakes and all your past and try to hold things over our head. But I pray that God would give us some help this morning. I, I was thinking about the prodigal son and how he took what he, for whatever reason, he thought was his inheritance. I'm not sure about that word. I don't know why he thought it was his inheritance. His father was still alive, obviously. But he thought that a portion of his father's money belonged to him. And he said, go ahead and give me what's mine. And he basically disowned his father. He left his family behind. The Bible says he went into a far country and he wasted all that he had on riotous living. Boy, he parted and he parted hard. But how many of you know if you party long enough, the party runs out? When the money runs out, so do the friends. They're only there as long as you're paying. But the Bible says that when he got out, he was in a pig pen and he was seeing that the pigs had food to eat and he had nothing. He's looking at the husk of corn. And, and the Bible says that when he came to himself, that, that means when he came to his senses, he said, I know what I'll do. I'll just go back to my father's house. Now, he didn't expect to go back on the same playing field as which he left. He expected to come back maybe as a servant 
to come in a little lower than what he was when he went out. But one thing he knew, he was welcome back at the father's house or he wouldn't have went. If someone had come and told him, there remaineth no more sacrifice for sin. What you did is over the top. You disowned your father, therefore your father has disowned you. You are not welcome back at the father's house. Then more than likely he would have never went back to the father's house. This passage tends to draw some people away from the truth. It tends to generate even some arguments or discussions. Call them what you want. It's not an argument because I'm never arguing. I'm just trying to show them why I'm right. It creates some, some discussion, but see, it's amazing to me how someone who wants to browbeat a Christian, you don't even have to be a Christian, but someone who wants to take a single scripture and browbeat someone with that scripture, it's amazing to me how you can use a verse to browbeat someone and leave all of the Sermon on the Mount unnoticed. It's amazing to me how they can take one verse and, and browbeat someone, but all of the promises of God can be overlooked. It's amazing to me they can take one passage of Scripture and browbeat someone and talk about how they're removed from the Father's house and leave out whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord. It's amazing to me how they can single out one passage like this to browbeat people over their sins, over their mistakes, that God said is covered under the blood, separated as far as the east is from the west, cast into the sea of forgetfulness, never to be remembered again. Some people say, and I know because I've heard it preached, some people say that this verse means that if you've ever heard the gospel before, if you've ever heard the presentation of the truth, if you've ever had it explained to you that Adam and Eve sinned in the garden, Hebrews 9, 27, appointed unto man once to die, came when they ate of the forbidden fruit, and that they died in the spirit, not in the flesh, and that we were born dead in the spirit, and the only way to be saved is to be born again. Except you be born again, you shall not see the kingdom of God. And they explained to him that that's why Jesus Christ came. That's why he hung on that cross to shed his blood for remission of sins for people just like me that deserve hell. That's why he came out of that tomb on the third day, defeated death, hell, and the grave, that we might have eternal life because we were born dead in our sin, but when we accept Jesus Christ, we are born again in the Spirit. We become children of God. And there are some that say, if you've ever had that presented to you clearly and you said, I just ain't ready for that today, and you walked away from it, there remaineth no more sacrifice for sin, and you can never be saved. There are those that preach that. They, they teach that that is the one opportunity. I don't have to look very far to prove that one's not right. I saw proof of that one in the mirror this morning when I looked at this one right here. I grew up in church. Many times I heard the gospel. Many times I heard about the blood. Many times I heard about salvation. Many times I heard about repentance. Many times I heard about being saved. Many times I even went to the altar and prayed. And with my lip service, I said, Lord, I want to be forgiven and I want to be saved. But I walked right out of there knowing I was going right back to what I've been doing. It was a lip service. I doubt that there's very many of us in here that got saved the first time we heard the name Jesus Christ. I doubt there's many of us in here got saved the first time we heard the truth of the gospel. Probably not many, if any, of us got saved the first time the gospel was clearly presented to us. More than likely, we heard it a lot of times. But for those like me that grew up in church, we walked away from it a lot of times. But grace never stopped being grace. Mercy never stopped being mercy. <laughs> The far-reaching far hand of God never stopped reaching further down than I could reach up. He just kept on calling and giving opportunities. So I know that one's not true. Matthew chapter 18. Then came Peter in verse number 21. said, Lord, how often shall my brother sin against me and I forgive him? Till seven times? 
Now, if Jesus had just said yes right there, that would be enough to refute those who say you have to get it the first time or you don't get it. But Jesus went on to verse 22 and said, I say not unto thee until seven times, but until 70 times seven. Jesus would have never taught us to do anything that the Father doesn't do by example. Then there's those who say that if a Christian sins, there are those who say if a Christian falls back into their old way of life, Anybody know any Christians plugged in, got in church for a while, got out of church, and are back out in the old way of life? See, I heard all my life. I heard men stand in the pulpit all my life and tell me that I could be saved. But they went on to tell me that the blood of Jesus wasn't strong enough to keep me there. They may not have said it that way, but that's what they said. Because they told me that I could be saved, and if I fell back into sin, then I would die and go to hell. So what that tells me is that the blood of Jesus was strong enough to save me, but it wasn't strong enough to keep me saved. What that tells me is that the blood of Jesus might have cleansed my sins, but it takes works to stay saved. But Paul said, not of works, lest any man should boast. It has nothing to do about my works. It has everything to do with the merciful, graceful God that gives to us freely. And the blood of Jesus that was put on my life can't be washed off. The sins that were erased can't be written back in. My name that was written in the Lamb's book of life can't be erased because it's written in the blood of the Lamb of God. So all my life, I was told that I can be saved then I can be lost again. And there are those who will preach it and say, you can be saved, but if you get saved and you trodden underfoot the blood of Jesus Christ and you go back into that old sinful lifestyle and you fall back into the way of the world, you'll die and go to hell because there remaineth no more sacrifice for sin. That's what they say. Well, <coughs> if that were the case, what would we do with scriptures like Isaiah 54 that says, For the mountains shall depart and the hills be removed. <laughs> but my kindness shall not depart from thee. Neither shall the covenant of my peace be removed, saith the Lord that hath mercy on thee. Number one, this passage written here by Isaiah is written to the same people that Hebrews 10.26 is written to. There's a reason it's called the Hebrews. It's written to the Hebrews. The Corinthians was written to the church at Corinth. Romans was written to the church at Rome. Hebrews was written to the Hebrews. But, but if, if Hebrews 10.26 meant that a Christian who sinned could never be forgiven of his sin and he would have to die and go to hell, what are we going to do with men like David? If God's children who sin after becoming God's children can no longer be forgiven... What do we do with the one that by God's own word, he calls him a man after God's own heart? What do we do with the man who was clearly God's chosen, who God anointed king, who God said this is the one and chose him and put him there? What do we do with a man like David who, who called Bathsheba in and committed adultery? Can I go ahead and just say he didn't accidentally call her up to his chambers? He didn't unknowingly and unwillingly commit adultery with his friend's wife. He didn't unknowingly have Uriah murdered in the battle to try to hide what he'd done. So if a child of God who made a mistake, thought about a sin, committed a sin, if it's now going to be cast out and can't be forgiven, what do we do with Psalms 51? A psalm of David, when Nathan the prophet came unto him after that he had gone into Bathsheba, after he's committed the sin, after he's done the acts, he says, have mercy upon me, O God. According to thy loving kindness, according to the multitude of thy tender mercies, blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from mine iniquity. Cleanse me from my sin." For I acknowledge my transgression and my sin is ever before me. Against thee, thee only, have I sinned and done this evil in thy sight, that thou mightest be justified when thou speakest and be clear when thou judgest. 
Behold, I was shapen in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. Behold, thou desirest truth in the inward parts, and in the hidden part thou shalt make me to know wisdom. Purge me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. Make me to hear joy and gladness that the bones which thou hast broken may rejoice. Hide thy face from mine iniquities and blot out all mine iniquities. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from thy presence and take not thy Holy Spirit from me. Restore unto me the joy of thy salvation and uphold me with thy free spirit. There are those who will say, that's all Old Testament. You can't use all that. That's Old Testament. Well, I'd start out with saying you obviously don't know very much about the Bible. But let me just go ahead and give you that one. I'll, I'll go ahead and do you the honor that, that I, I will give you that one for your sakes. So what about 1 John 1.8? If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. 1 John goes on, the second chapter, verse 1, my little children. These things write unto you that you sin not. So we have proof that it is God's will that we don't sin. It's God's desire that we don't sin. But if any man sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. And he is the propitiation for our sins. Not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. You can't dispensationalize that out of the truth. That's not just the New Testament. That's written to you and I as Christians. That's written to the children of God. Or, or what about Peter, who denied that he even knew Jesus Christ, who around that campfire, after Jesus had been arrested, and Jesus was being beaten, they came and said, you're one of them, and he denied it. I don't even know the man. And they said, surely, surely you're one of them. I saw you with him. Your speech gives you away. He cursed the one that accused him, cursed them and their family. He said, I don't even know who the man is. But when Jesus come out of the tomb, he said, you go tell the disciples and who? And Peter. He wanted Peter specifically to know that he was included. That tells me that grace is enough. The fact is, you and I as Christians, and you don't have to raise your hand. You don't have to say amen. You don't have to agree. You don't have to come back. But the truth is, you and I as Christians make mistakes. Any of those who say, I've been saved since I've been saved, I ain't never committed a sin, I'm sorry, you'll lie. You can't drive in this town and not think it. You can't drive around Atlanta, Georgia and not think it. And if you think it, it's the same as. The bottom line, we all make mistakes. For those who want to browbeat you with your mistakes, browbeat you with their holier than thou, and, and browbeat you and say that you've committed such bad things, God says to them, you hypocrite. Why don't you worry about getting the beam out of your own eye so that you might see clearly to help those who have a speck in their eye. Simple fact is, Hebrews 10.26 is one passage. And you cannot take one passage and establish a doctrine. A scripture that is written must have a scripture that supports it. And the scripture that is written and the scripture that supports it must be backed up by the entire gospel. From in the beginning to amen. It cannot be at controversy with anything or you have it out of context. For example, John 3.16 alone cannot establish a doctrine. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him, that one verse by itself cannot establish a doctrine. But when you reach back, but when you reach back over into Deuteronomy chapter 4 and find that he loved the fathers, so he chose the seed. When you look throughout all the Psalms where the psalmist writes over and over and over about the love of God. 
When you look into the prophets, both major prophets and minor prophets, when you look into the prophet Isaiah, where he talks about the love of God and Jesus Christ coming forth, paying a price on the cross, and he paints it out in detail, and dogs have come past me about, and he paints all of the picture for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. When you look over into the New Testament, and Jesus Christ continually preached over and over about the love of the Father. Or you look into the 13 letters of the Apostle Paul where he wrote to Corinth and where he wrote to Ephesus and where he wrote to Rome and he continually throughout all of the letters talks about the love of God that surpasses all understanding and how God himself sent his own son. When you take all of that, now you have a scripture and you have a second and it all comes in together as one. Now you have a doctrine. It takes putting everything together to create it. But to take one verse out of context and use it to browbeat people, you have the devil using the scripture in the wilderness as a temptation. So it doesn't mean that if you've heard the truth, thought about it, somebody gave you an opportunity to be saved and you rejected it, it does not mean that you can never be saved. Somebody just got a breath of fresh air. And it does not mean as a Christian, thank you, God, that, that you have committed a sin. It doesn't mean that you as a Christian have fallen out of church and gotten back out into the way of the world. It doesn't mean that, that you as a Christian have gotten out and fallen back into the same lifestyle you used to be in and the Holy Spirit is trying to draw you out. It doesn't mean that because you have sinned, that you can never be brought back into the fold. It doesn't mean that your sins can never be forgiven. Well, somebody else ought to have got something good out of that. But if it doesn't mean those things, then what does it mean? That, that's what Christians would want to know. See, I, I don't know. Let, let, me just, let me just go ahead and be transparent enough to, to let you understand why I would study verses like this. Because the stuff you were taught when you were small keeps coming up in your mind. When you were told that you could lose your salvation, <laughs> when you were told that you can't be good enough, but if you ever sin and get back into it, that you can lose what God gave you, when you were told that lie, you will spend your life researching this book. Because if that was true, I'd want to know it. And I've studied this book as much as I know how. And what I know is that I am saved to the uttermost. I can't lose it and you can't take it. And the devil can't steal it. But verses that, that don't make sense that you've been holding, they'll keep coming up in your mind because I'm not the only one in here that knows you've sinned since you became a Christian. And I'm sure I'm not the only one in here that the devil can't pull stuff from your past and say, you can't be forgiven for that. You're a hypocrite standing up there preaching. God can't use you. That's when you have to pull Jesus out and say, Devil, in the name of Jesus, shut your lying mouth and leave me alone. The letter is written to the Hebrews. There's no doubt about sin, for all of sin to come short of the glory of God. We know that. The wages of sin is death. We know that. It's supported throughout the Scriptures. It's supported all the way back to Genesis and Adam and Eve fell. It is doctrine that, that we are born sinners. It's a proven fact that we are born in our sins, separated from God, and, and that the only way, the only way to forgive sin, there must be a sacrifice. We know that because of all of the Scriptures. But this passage is written to the Hebrews about the sin of unbelief. The Hebrews in the Old Testament, when they turned their backs on God, it's because they didn't believe God. When they built golden calves, it's because they didn't believe God was coming back. When they didn't go into the promised land, it's because they didn't believe God could deliver them. When, when they tried, when some of them tried to gather more manna on one day than they could get, it rotted in the bag because it's because they didn't believe God. In the New Testament, they do not believe that Jesus Christ is the Messiah. This is being written to some people. They do not believe that Jesus Christ who has come is the promised Messiah, the one that the prophets have told about throughout all the Old Testament. They do not believe that he is the Son of God. And he's telling them, for those of you who do not trust in Jesus Christ, you're wasting your time to look to be saved because there's not another one coming. See, the Hebrew went on. 
They said, this ain't him. Let's just kill him on a cross. See, he's done. He's gone. Let's move on. There's another one coming. They still look for one that's not going to come. Well, the Old Testament sacrifice no longer exists. It has been fulfilled. The Old Testament hasn't been done away with. The Old Testament law hasn't been erased. Thou still shalt not murder. Thou still shalt not steal. Thou still shalt not bear false witness against thy neighbor. Thou still shalt not take up the name of the Lord thy God in vain. Thou still shalt not put any other God before me. It hasn't been taken away. It has been fulfilled in Jesus Christ. Now, when the writer started out this letter here in chapter 10 where we're at, in verse number 1, he started out by saying, For the law having a shadow of things to come, and not the very image of the things, can never with those sacrifices which they offered year by year continually make the comers thereunto perfect. For then they would not have ceased to be offered because that the worshippers once purged should have had no more conscience of sins. But in those sacrifices, there's a remembrance again made of sins every year. But in those sacrifices, there's a remembrance of sin made every year. That was the bulls and the goats. That was the, that was the annual sacrifices that had to be done. For it is not possible that the blood of bulls and, and of goats should take away sins. Wherefore, when he cometh into the world... He saith, Sacrifice and offering thou wouldest not, but a body hast thou prepared me. In burnt offerings and sacrifices for sin thou hast had no pleasure. Then said I, Lo, I come in the volume of the book it is written of me to do thy will, O God. Above, when he said, Sacrifice and offering and burnt offerings and offering for sin thou wouldest not, neither haddest pleasure therein which are offered by the law. Then said he, Lo, I come to do thy will, O God. He taketh away the first that he may establish the second. By the which will we are sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. Every priest standeth daily ministering and offering oftentimes the same sacrifices which can never take away sin. The writer saying the priests are still there. The priests are still coming together at the sanctuary. The priests are still offering what now is nothing more than rituals. It's no longer even a sacrifice. The sacrifice has been made. The sacrifice has been fulfilled. The sacrifice is called Jesus Christ. Going back and, and sacrificing bulls and goats is of no use. But this man, after he had offered one sacrifice for sins forever, sat down on the right hand of God, from henceforth expecting till his enemies be made his footstool, for by one offering he hath perfected forever them that are sanctified. As Christians, we've all made mistakes. They are willful sins. Some of them we like to call big sins, or at least everybody around us likes to call them big sins. I know sin is sin. Sin is separation from God. Sin is against the will of God. But, you know, you've got to have big sins, right? I mean, like, you can't call telling a lie and adultery on the same platform, right? God says sin is still sin. But nonetheless, we like to point things out, and we, we like to view those as big sins. And what the devil wants to tell you is what you did was a big sin. What you did can't be forgiven. What, what you did is beyond forgiveness. You just need to give up. You, you just need to forget about trying to serve God. If you want to know whatever it is, Maybe it's live stream, maybe in the church. If you want to know whatever it is the devil's holding over your head, if you want to know if you can be forgiven, the answer is absolutely yes. 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 There's no maybe. There's no doubt in the equation. Yes. No matter what it is, no matter what you've done, if you want to know, is the blood of Jesus sufficient? If you want to know if the love of the Father is enough, if you want to know if grace is enough, if you want to know if mercy is enough, and you want to know if you can be forgiven for what you did, yes. Plain and simple, yes. But how? Well, there obviously has to be a confession of the sin. But that alone is not enough. There must be a repentance from the sin. See, repent means to turn away from. It comes from a Greek word here in the New Testament. It means to change the way we think. 
So it is to turn away from the sin. Simple confession of the lips, but continuing in sin, that's not repentance. That's just wanting to be forgiven, but not bad enough not to go back and do it. That's the dog that keeps returning to his own vomit. So there must be a, a repentance. Let, let, me, let me give you a, a picture. I'll take, yeah, I got just enough time to do this. Let, let me give you an illustration of what lack of repentance looks like. In the Old Testament, God promised the Hebrew people that he was going to deliver them a land, that he was going to bring them out of Egypt, and he was going to give them a promised land that flows with milk and honey. Exodus chapter 3, verse 8. I'm come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them out of that land unto a good land and a large, unto a land flowing with milk and honey, unto the place of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites. Leviticus chapter 20, he confirms that he's going to give them the land. Verse number 24, I have said unto you, you shall inherit their land. I will give it unto you to possess it, a land that floweth with milk and honey. I am the Lord your God, which have separated you from other people. Numbers chapter 13, they're at the bank of the Jordan River. All they got to do is go over and possess the promise. They're at the last stage. They're at the last step of the promise. Moses sends the 12 spies over, they go over and they look, and they come back and they bring, and they told him in Numbers chapter 13 and verse 27, they said, we came to the land whither thou sentest us, and surely it floweth with milk and honey, and this is the fruit of it. What they did, they came back and they said, that land is everything that God said it would be. It is a land flowing with milk and honey. It has everything we need, and then some, it is absolutely an amazing place. But the problem comes in verse 28 when they said, nevertheless the people be strong that dwell in the land and the cities are walled and very great and moreover we saw the children of Anak there the Amalekites dwell in the land of the south and the Hittites the Jebusites the Amorites dwell in the mountains and the Canaanites dwell by the sea and by the Jordan why is that a surprise didn't God tell them that in the beginning? Didn't we just read that there in Exodus? I'm come down to deliver out of the Egyptians to bring them good and large milk and honey to the place of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, the Jebusites. Why are they surprised to see the, Am the, the, the Amalekites and the Hittites and the Jebusites? Why are they surprised to see that? Didn't God say, I'm going to bring you to a land that's milk and honey, and these are the people that live there, but I'm going to give you their land. Isn't that what God said? then why are they surprised to see him there? But Caleb, he, he tries to bring everybody to their senses in verse number 30, Numbers chapter 13. He stilled the people before Moses. And he said, let us go up at once and possess it, for we are well able to overcome it. That's because he trusted God. He didn't believe in them or their power or their strength. He trusted God. Verse 31, but the men that went up with him said, we be not able to go up against the people, for they're stronger than we. They brought up an evil report of the land which they had searched unto the children of Israel, saying, The land through which we have gone to search it is a land that eateth up the inhabitants thereof. All the people that we saw in it are men of great stature. There we saw giants, the sons of Anak, which come of the giants. And we were in our own sight as grasshoppers, and so we were in their sight. Next verse, chapter 14, verse 1. The congregation lifted up their voice and cried, and all the people that night, and all the people wept that night. All the children of Israel murmured against Moses and against Aaron, and the whole congregation said unto them, mm -mm 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 -mm. Would God that we had died in the land of Egypt, or that we had died in this wilderness, care for what you wish for. Wherefore the Lord has brought us into this land to fall by the sword, that our wives and our children should be a prey? Were it not better for us to return into Egypt? Joshua and Caleb, only two that believed God, he said in verse number 8 of chapter 14, If the Lord delight in us, then he'll bring us into the land and give it us, a land which floweth with milk and honey. But in verse number 10, all the congregation bade stone them with stones, and the glory of the Lord appeared in the tabernacle of the congregation before all the children of Israel. And the Lord said unto Moses, How long will this people provoke me? How long will it be ere they believe me? For all the signs which I have shown among them. Verse number 27. God speaks with Moses and he hands down this judgment. How long shall I bear with this evil congregation which murmur against me? I've heard the murmurings of the children of Israel which they murmur against me. Say unto them as truly as I live, saith the Lord, as you have spoken in mine ears, so will I do to you. Your carcasses shall fall in this wilderness. 
All you, all that were numbered of you, according to your whole number, from 20 years old and upward, which have murmured against me, doubtless you shall not come into the land concerning which I swear unto to you to dwell therein, save Caleb the son of Jephunneh and Joshua the son of Nun. But your little ones, which you said should be a prey, them will I bring in, and they shall know the land which you have despised. But as for you, your carcasses, they shall fall in this wilderness." And your children shall wander in the wilderness 40 years and bear your whoredoms until your carcasses be wasted in the wilderness. God said, you, you see the promise. You, you see the things that, that I had already promised you. The people admit the land's there is flowing with milk and honey. We, we already see that God's promise is faithful. What he said is there. We've already seen God's power. We've already seen the many plagues. We've already seen how he overthrew Pharaoh. We've already seen how he parted the Red Sea. We've already seen how he brought us across the wilderness. We've already seen how he provided manna every day. We've already seen how he had the power to provide water gushing from the rock at Horeb that there be enough for the entire village to drink from. We've already seen all of that stuff. Now they say, we'd have been better off if we'd just gone back to Egypt. For 400 years, they cried out to God to deliver them. And God said that he heard their prayer, that he came down to answer their prayer. But he didn't just come in and get them out. He did a whole lot of mighty things so that they could see his power. So that he brought them through situations. Somebody pay attention right here because he's brought you through some storms in your life. He's held you up when you couldn't walk. He stood you up when you couldn't stand. He's carried you when you couldn't get there. He's done some things in our life to show us that he is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we can ask or think. So he came in and he showed them his power that is there that, that they shouldn't be afraid. But now they not only doubt God, but they spit in his face. We should have just stayed in Egypt. We'd be better off if we just died over there, if we just died in the wilderness. God said, that's fine, you can and you will. But your children, the ones that you said will be a prey, I'm going to preserve them. Just to show you, my promise is always true. Rain's true, will never fail. I'm going to put your children in the promised land, but you're not going to go there. But here, here, here's where I get back to the text. I'm going to talk about how, how to get forgiveness and repentance. See, in verse number 40 of Numbers chapter 14, they rose up early in the morning and got them into the top of the mountain saying, Lo, we be here. And we will go up into the place which the Lord hath promised, for we have sinned. Moses said, Wherefore now do you transgress the commandment of the Lord? But it shall not prosper. Go not up, for the Lord is not among you, that you be not smitten before your enemies. After they spit in God's face, after they said we're not going to go, God hands down the judgment. Now they want to come to the mountain. Now they want to say, oh, oh, wait, oh, that's a little harsh. Now we want to go. We're going to go up. So, so they don't listen. Moses says, don't go up. You'll surely fail. But in verse 44, they presumed to go up to the top of the hill. Nevertheless, the ark of the covenant of the Lord and Moses departed not out of the camp. That means that they went up without the power of God with them. The Amalekites came down, and the Canaanites which dwelt in that hill, and smote them and discomfited them even unto Hormah. That word discom discomfited right there in Hebrew, it means to violently strike, to beat down, to break into pieces, to crush and to destroy. They were destroyed by the enemy because they doubted God. They didn't go when they were supposed to. Some would say, but they confessed their sins. It's right there in verse number 40. They, they said, here we are. Here we are, God. We've changed our mind now. We've changed our mind. We'll, we'll go up now. So, so they said we have sinned. They, they acknowledged that there was a sin. But, but we've talked about it a lot of times when it comes to salvation. You don't get to provide a lip service and say, God, I'm sorry for my sins. And I'm asking you to come into my heart and forgive me of my sin and save my soul. And then you go right back out living the same way you did and nothing changed. You don't get to walk in here and throw God a quick little lip service and be saved. It requires repentance. It requires turning from your sin. It requires a change of mind, a change of heart, a change of attitude, a desire to follow the things of God. You say, well, how do you know the children of Israel? How do you know the Hebrew people? How do you know they didn't repent? 
because they didn't listen to God. When he told them to go up, they didn't go. That was their sin. Then when they come back, they said, we've sinned. God gave them word through Moses that don't go up now. What did they do? The same thing they did before the confession. They didn't listen to God. So there must be a confession, but there must be a change. There must be a willingness to follow God, what God says do. Acts 3.19 says, Repent ye therefore and be converted, that your sins may be blotted out, blotted out, blotted out. When the times of refreshing shall come from the presence of the Lord. 2 Peter 3.9, The Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some men count slackness, but is long-suffering to usward. Thank you, God. Not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Matthew chapter 9, Jesus said in verse number 13, Go ye and learn what that meaneth. I will have mercy and not sacrifice. For I am not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Don't let the devil lie to you. Don't, don't let the devil beat you over the head. Don't let the devil tell you you can't be forgiven. Don't let the devil tell you that your sin is too big and take that away. Don't, don't let the devil lie to you. Don't let him tell you that God can never use you, that you'll never be enough. Don't, don't let the world lie to you and tell you that because you've rejected the gift of God one time and you didn't get saved, that now you don't have a chance. As long as you're breathing and Jesus Christ hadn't come, you got a chance to be saved. The gospel of Jesus Christ is enough. The blood of Jesus Christ is enough. The grace of God is enough. Romans chapter 10, verse 11, the scripture saith, Whosoever believeth on him shall not be ashamed, for there is no difference between the Jew and the Greek. For the same Lord over all is rich unto all that call upon him. And whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. If you've never been saved, you can be saved now. doesn't matter if you rejected it in the past. That's not what that means. If you're a Christian, and this is for us this morning, I pray somebody gets some help. Maybe other, I don't, I don't know. But I know God has a message in his word, and he has a reason for every message. If you're a Christian, and you've made a mistake, and you're carrying around his baggage on your shoulder, and it's, the devil's got it like a weight on you, holding you down, telling you you can't be forgiven, the devil's a liar. The devil's a liar. The devil's a liar. Don't let him pile that stuff on you. 1 John 1, 7 says, we walk in the light as he is in the light. We have fellowship one with another. And the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from, put that verse up there. 1 John 1, 7. Give her a minute to find that one. Oh, she'll find it. She's good. I'm supposed to give her all this stuff ahead of time, but, you know, it don't always work out quite like that. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship one with another. And the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from how many sins? Does that leave anything out? Does that say that there's any too great? Does that say that there's any too big? Does that say that what you did can't be forgiven? The blood of Jesus Christ cleanses us from all sin. When God saved us, he saved us completely. There are there are no limits to God's mercy. There are no limitations to God's grace. There is no end to God's long-suffering. There are no sins greater than the blood of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ paid our debt because he loves us. God sent his only begotten son to pay a debt we couldn't pay because he loves us. God right now is working, preparing a place for you and I to be with him for all of eternity because he loves us. Grace is always greater. Grace is always greater. I said grace is always greater. If, 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 I, could, if I could have you just for a minute, if I could have you bow your head right where you are. I don't know, this, this may be a live stream question, this, this may be a YouTube, this may be in July, you may not even be watching this today, but if you're watching it, it's because the Holy Spirit brought you to right here for right now for such a time as this, because I'm here to tell you if you've never been saved, you can be, right here, right now, and ain't nothing can keep you from it but you.
The gift of God is the free gift that is offered to whosoever will. Let him come. Jesus Christ is the way and he's the only way. And there is no sin that you've ever committed that God cannot forgive through the blood of Jesus Christ. But you've got to be willing to come to him. There has to be a confession of the lips. There has to be a change of the heart. You don't just get to say with your mouth, Lord, I'm sorry, I want to be saved. And that makes you saved. It's not the lips speaking, it's the heart speaking. The heart says, Lord, I feel you. I feel the drawing of your Holy Spirit. I feel your presence. I feel you calling my name. Lord, it's my heart that says I'm sorry. It's my heart that wants to be forgiven. Lord, I'm, I'm asking you to come in and change my heart. From this day forward, I want to follow you. I'm not walking in sin anymore. I'm not going back to the places I went to last week. I'm not talking the way I talked last week. I'm not doing the things I did last week. Lord, with your help, I'm going to be a new creature in Christ. Old things will pass away. Behold, all things will become new. But you've got to be willing to trust Christ, your personal Lord and Savior, and let the Holy Spirit move in and change you. That is a repentance. It is a renewed mind. We don't get saved by the lips. We get saved by the heart. So if you're willing to trust Christ, your personal Lord and Savior, Trust him with your heart, Lord, I'm a sinner. And I'm asking you to come into my heart and forgive me of my sins and save my soul. <laughs> Write my name in the Lamb's book of life. Fill me with your Holy Spirit. Make me a child of the King and help me live a life pleasing to you. If you're willing to ask that before God in the name of Jesus Christ, you can be saved as much as anybody in this place. I assure you, you're not the only one with a past. Everybody has a past. But the past is just that. When we become washed in the blood, the past is the past and it is erased in the blood of Jesus Christ. Some of you as Christians, we have a little bit of a past since we got saved. We've done some things since we got saved. Don't, don't let the devil hold you out. Don't, don't let the devil tell you that Christ isn't enough. The things that we've done since we got saved, the blood of Jesus Christ can wash them away. The blood of Jesus Christ can forgive us. The blood of Jesus Christ can restore us. It's just up to us to come and say, Father, I'm sorry. Lord, I, most of the time that comes with a broken heart. But it's a broken heart by the sin that we've done. But it's a heart of jubilation that God says, I'll forgive you. Come on home. There is no such thing as a prodigal not welcome back home to the house of God. The father is always looking out across the desert. You notice that when that boy topped the hill, the father was looking. It says that he saw him while he was still a great way off. That tells me every day since that boy left, the father's been looking for him to come home. And God's been looking for you to turn around. He's been right there the whole time. And as soon as the father saw him, he ran to him and fell on his neck and kissed him. And if you've been running from God and hiding from God and holding out from God and the world and the devil's been telling you that your sin won't let you turn around, just turn around and find out. Because as soon as you turn around, he'll fall on your neck and kiss you and hug you and love you. There are no prodigals that aren't welcome back home in God's house.